0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia, to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? All right. That was better. I'm, that was better than the 9:30. But I'm going to give you one more chance. Everybody doing all right? All right. There we go. That was good. That was good. I, you know, I heard Matt say something about the expansion had started. And I didn't hear a single woohoo. Not a single woo-hoo. I'm going to say that again. Hey, we have started our expansion. There you go. That's good. That's good. Hey, we really have, and we're excited, and you're going to see even more progress over the coming days. Um, they're going to start in earnest tomorrow behind this wall. The nail salon's officially moved, and so they're going to get started just kind of demoing that space to get it ready to expand this auditorium. So we're pumped about that. But man, it is Thanksgiving week And I'm excited about Thanksgiving week. You know, I said a couple of weeks ago as we started this Thanks series that it's like the Super Bowl of eating, which is like a national holiday for me for obvious reasons. I love to eat. I love food. But I'll tell you, the other thing that I really love about this coming week that not everybody does, and I recognize that, is that, you know, we get to spend time, a lot of us, with friends and family in just kind of an intentional way. Again, it doesn't mean that you never get to see family or you never get to see friends, and it doesn't mean that all of you this week will see friends or family that maybe you haven't seen in a while. But I know for a lot of us, Thanksgiving and Christmas tend to be the time when maybe we're off work for an extra day or two, or maybe school's out a little bit, and so you get to spend some time, or maybe you get to travel or others travel to you. And so it's just that time. And I love that because because I love my family. I love friendship. I love the people that I'm in relationship with, the people that I get to do life with. And the idea that we would get some time together is exciting for me. Uh, later this week or in a couple of days, my brother and his wife and their four kids are coming to my house. so It's going to be quite loud. Uh, their four plus my four makes a lot of noise. I've already apologized to my neighbors. Uh, And then my dad and my stepmom, Shelly, they'll be here. They're coming in, and Corey is making Thanksgiving dinner, which I am pumped about. Um, Last night, she was working on the grocery list, and uh, she did the grocery shopping online. I don't know if you've done this yet. And like, so this afternoon, we just kind of pull up, and they put it in our car. I think I'm going to take one of the guys home with me to put it in my house as well, if I can make that work. But uh, So as she was making out the, the menu and stuff, man, I, my mouth was watering. I was so excited about Thanksgiving. But the idea that we get to spend time together, they, they all live apart, they live away, and so the idea that we would get to come together for a couple of days, and then all of us are going to caravan then to North Carolina. My dad's mom, my grandmother's not doing well health-wise, and so... We just wanted to spend some time with her and my grandfather and some extended family. So we'll travel to North Carolina, just to the Charlotte area for a day or two. And so we'll be there together with them. And so that's exciting for me because I love spending time with family. But I love doing life with friends as well. I love the people that I get to hang out with, the people that I get to do life with. And I know that there are others here as well. Some of you, based on your personality type or just your comfort, like you just, you just avoid people in general. And I get that. That's okay. Okay. Uh, But I love hanging out with people and doing life with people. I know one of our life groups last night had a Friendsgiving. Uh, That's like Thanksgiving for people that aren't related. And so they came together and they ate and they had a good time. And I saw some pictures and videos and Insta stories and stuff. And man, that was awesome. And I know that a lot of you, that's why you do life groups, That's why you do serving teams, so that you have the opportunity to connect to other people and do life together with other people. We've got a couple hundred people now that are in life groups here at Canton Church, and that's not an infomercial. It's just to say, like, we know that that's where life happens is in the context of relationships. And I can say really without a doubt, but I I don't know every single person that's ever come to Canton Church or when we were a campus of Mount Pierre North when they came then. I can't say this maybe absolutely, but I think it's absolutely, that every person that's been a part of our church and really connected here long-term connected in relationship with other people. They didn't just show up on a Sunday, listen to some music, listen to some guy to talk for a little while and then walk out and leave. Those people are few and far between that stayed here long-term. Because they they actually, the people that have stayed, they got into a group and did relationships with people and, and, and ate meals together and talked together and laughed with those that were laughing and cried with those that were crying from time to time. And they got onto a serving team, not just to serve and to do something, but to do it with someone else and alongside other people. And some of our most successful serving teams are actually life groups that serve together in different times. So, I mean, I just, I love relationships. And that's really where I wanted us to spend our time today as we finished this series called Thanks, because Thanksgiving is more than just eating food. It's more than just football. It's more than just family and friends. Thanksgiving is really about a heart and a mindset of giving thanks. And so I want us to talk about relationships a little bit in that context today. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip to the book of Philippians. It's a New Testament book. It's a letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to read here in just a minute. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to get to that place. Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible or a device, the Scripture will be up on the screen in just a minute. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. These are letters that he has written back to, in most cases, written back to a city where he did life and ministry previously. And so this letter of Philippians, he is writing to people in the city of Philippi, and he's writing back to them and talking to them, and he's already done life with them, he's already been in their presence, and then he left and he's somewhere else, and now he's writing back to them. And so this is what we read beginning in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And when I read that, there's some really interesting choice of words there by the Apostle Paul. He starts off by saying, I thank God every time I remember you. And then he says, and I'm talking about all of you. He's a better person than I am, really, is, is all I'm saying. Because there are some people that when I think about them, I don't thank God for them. And I don't, think, I don't thank God for, you know, some people in my life for various reasons. So the fact that he would say, all of you that I'm writing to, every time I think about you, I thank God for you, makes me feel like a terrible person. But man, he's like, I, I thank God for you when I think about you. Do you have those people? Maybe it's not everybody. Maybe it's just a person or three people or eight people. But like when you think about them, you're thankful for them. Like you're thankful that you are in life with them. Like they're in your corner. You're on the same team. You're doing life together. Maybe it's a, a spouse or a loved one. Maybe, maybe those people are too close to you to be thankful for them all the time. So maybe it's a friend that you see once a year or, or somebody that you went to college with or somebody that's, you know, they're, they're in life with you. They're in relationship with you. And so every time you think about them, you just thank God. And then I love where he's talking about it. He says, because we're in this together. He says, whether I'm in chains or I'm defending or I'm confirming the gospel, it's right for me to feel this way about you because God is continuing a work in you and in us that he's going to carry out to completion. Like there's a purpose in our relationship. There's something that we're doing together that's bigger than just me. It's bigger than just you. It's about all of us. And then he ended by saying God can confirm. God can testify. God is the one who knows that I long for all of you with the affection Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul had this pattern of writing in most of his New Testament letters. He didn't always say it just like he says here in Philippians chapter 1, but in most of the letters that he writes, he begins the letter and ends the letter thanking God for people, greeting people. I greet you, greet these people for me, tell so and so I said hello. I'm thankful for you. Thank for how you're supporting me. Thanks for what you're doing. And there are other places throughout some of the other letters where he does things like this. And he's like, listen, I, when I think about you, I love you. I'm thankful for how you've supported me. Even as I left you in my presence and I went somewhere else to continue the work of God, you've continued to send money or, or send people to encourage me or whatever it is that you did. Like, thank you for what you did. Paul seemed to be somebody that was thankful for the relationships that were in his life. And that's something that all of us should model, that we, we love relationships. That we desire to be connected to other people. We understand all the way back in the book of Genesis: God created man, and there was something missing. And this is not a marriage sermon, so we're not just talking about the fact that a man is lost by himself without a woman to help him. No woohoo's from the women. That's totally fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. I got way more, way more energy than you today. But no, no, no. Here's the idea. The Bible tells us it's not good for man to be alone. Right? This is man in general. It's not good for woman to be alone. We are meant to do life together. We're meant to be connected to other people. The famous quote that I'm sure you, you understand, no man is an island. No woman is an island. We're not by ourselves. We're not separated from every other person in every other circumstance. No man is an island unto himself. And then I ran across this, this question or really this comment from author Leonard Sweet. When he talks about life in general and how relationships weave through that, he said the real meaning of life is not a journey question or an arrival question, it's a relationship question. Who do you have with you? Who do you have with you? If you and I view life not as just the arrival of where we're headed, not just the destination that we're seeking out, or if we view life not just as the journey, but if we also understand that life is really about the relationships, who We have with us as we're doing life. It changes the way that we view life. Leonard Sweet wrote a book several years ago called 11. It's the indispensable relationships you can't be without. I read this book right after it came out several years ago. um, And I, I come back to it pretty regularly just as a reminder for me to constantly seek out the kinds of relationships that make me healthy or the kind of person that I need to be in order to make the relationships around me healthy relationships. But the 11 indispensable relationships You can't be without. And so for a couple of minutes today, I just want to hit, I just want to highlight what these 11 relationships are. It should take us maybe an hour and a half. It'll be fine. Um, I'm kidding. Just a couple minutes. But the idea that there are 11 relationships that sweet feels like you have to have in your life. The first of those is a motivator. You need somebody who motivates you. And this is somebody who challenges you. And the biblical example that he uses is a guy by the name of Jethro. In the Old Testament, Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. Moses was the guy who led the people of God, the children of Israel, out of Egypt and out of captivity and towards the promised land And so Moses had been working for Jethro and then eventually when God calls him, he sends Moses on, he blesses him and then later he comes and he joins Moses to see how Moses is leading the people and Moses is leading them in a certain way and Jethro watches it happen and he's like, wow, you have got to change what you're doing or you're going to run yourself ragged, you won't have the energy, you're going to wear the people out, you're going to wear yourself out, you got to change this, here's how you need to change it, here's a plan you should consider and Moses does that. And then Jethro later blesses him and kind of blesses him forward as he leaves to say, hey, go and be all that God wants you to be. Go and chase all that God wants you to chase. He's a motivator, and that's an important person to have in your life. I love people who are motivating. A similar person that you need in your life is an encourager, someone to build you up. The biblical example here would be somebody like Barnabas. Barnabas was a a peer of Paul in the New Testament. Someone who was constantly in a supporting type role who would come alongside of Paul in different seasons and even others in ministry we read about from time to time. And Barnabas was the encourager. He was the supporter. He was someone that would come alongside and build up and encourage the work that God was doing in other people. I love these kinds of people in my life, both motivators who maybe challenge me a little bit, but encouragers who support me and build me up. Man, I love having lunch with these kind of people when you just, you say, hey, you know, here's what God's saying to me, or here's what I think God's leading us to do, or here's what I think we're supposed to do at our church, and they're like, yeah, God can do that, and God can do more, and I leave lunch, like, ready to charge hell with a water pistol, like, I'm ready to go make it happen, like, let's do this! There are other people I go to lunch with, and I'm just like, bum bum bum. I just take on their depressing mentality. I'm like, hey, here's what God's saying. And they're like, yeah, that can't happen. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, maybe one day, but not now. Like, I don't think you need to worry about that. I don't think, you know, I think you can do it. I don't think the church can do it. I don't think your family, I don't think. I'm like, man, I pick up the phone when I leave lunch, and I tell Corey, like, I don't want to go with lunch with that person ever. I don't want to ever have lunch again after meeting with that person. Like, I'm just... No, I want to be around encouraging, positive people that build you up, that are excited, that are motivating. You need people like that. Who is steroids to your spirit? Like when you're around them, it just kind of boosts you up, man. You're just excited about life and you have a new energy. Who's steroids to your spirit? Those kind of people you got to have. Another person you need in your life is a defender. A defender, someone who has your back biblical example of this would be somebody uh, like deborah deborah was a woman in the old testament we read about her in a couple of places but we read about a really important story in judges chapter 4 and judges chapter 5 chapter 5 is really just the song that tells us again what happened in judges chapter 4 deborah was one of three people in the old testament who combined the roles of prophet judge and military leader she was a strong and powerful woman that god used in mighty mighty ways And so Deborah was someone that was used by God to lead the people of God during a season in its history. But in the story that we read in Judges chapter four and Judges chapter five, we see that the commander of the army, Barak, we see that he has to go and fight against the enemy and he's a little bit worried about it. And Deborah says to him, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to go and do this. And Barak says to her, I'm not going unless you go with me. Well, she doesn't go to the front line. She actually goes in a supporting role and prays for the army and helps to support and provide for them from a distance. But she's the one that defends Barack and the decision that needs to be made. Here's what we know. You're going to get attacked, and it's not always going to come from the front. Like, there are going to be people that come from behind, and they come after you, and they attack you, and sometimes you don't even know they're coming, and you need somebody that's got your back. You need somebody that's watching out for you to help you understand where you may be vulnerable, even if you're not aware of it. You know, a few years ago, Corey and I were going on vacation with our kids and just spending a couple days away. And so we had packed the car. It took like four days to do that because there's kids and lots of stuff. And we packed the car and got the kids in there. And we're pulling out of the driveway. There's a lot happening. And, you know, when you start a trip like that with young kids, like everybody's trying to get settled and there's just a ton happening. And so we're pulling out of the driveway, and I was like, oh, i got to lower the garage. And so I hit the garage door. I see it coming down, and I just pulled away. So I get back home a few days later, and my neighbor from across the street, I'm like getting my mail or getting the trash cans or something, my neighbor from across the street who I had a relationship with, but we weren't like close. You know, we just saw each other and nodded, and our kids would play together some. But I didn't, you know, I knew him, but I didn't know him well. But he comes up to me. He's like, hey, listen, I need to tell you something. I said, Okay. He said, You guys been gone for a couple days? I said, Yeah, we were out of town for a few days. He said, Well, that's what I thought. He said, I, you know, I wasn't like watching your house, but I knew like your cars weren't there, I didn't see you guys out running, the kids weren't out in the yard playing, my wife had watched, she didn't really see Corey out anywhere. And he said, But your garage door was up for like a day. He said, So I just I I watched, so I just went over to your house, went into your garage closed the garage and then just ran over and hopped over the little radar thing. You know how you just kind of do the hop thing? So he said, I did that. I think he even acted it out in the street, which was fun. And he was like, I just wanted you to know, I didn't go in your house. I hope nothing happened. I don't, I don't think anything happened, but like I just wanted you to know, like I, just, I didn't want your garage door up, so I just went and closed it. He said there was something that had fallen. If you tried to close it, something was blocking the door. So maybe it just kind of was coming down and then it just went back up and you didn't realize it. You know what he was telling me? I've got your back. Like, maybe we don't have a great relationship, maybe we're not best friends, but I'm not going to let something happen to your house while you're gone and you don't even know you're vulnerable. You don't even have to be best friends with somebody to have their back. Like, if you're sitting at lunch with somebody and they start talking about somebody else, that somebody else doesn't even know they're being talked about. But you have the opportunity to defend them. Just cut it off. Stop the conversation. Defend that person. If, if you know what to say, defend them. Stop it. Say, oh, I think you might have bad information. Or maybe you don't know all the information. Hey, let me just kind of tell you what you may not even realize. Or if you don't know what to say, just say, hey, stop. I'm not going to be a part of this conversation. Because at best, it's gossip. At worst, it's sin. And I'm not going to be a part of this. Because I wouldn't want two other people sitting here talking about me like this. And if that person's like, whoa, and you're like, oh, I don't know if they'll be friends with me. You probably don't need friends like that. You probably don't need friends like that. Like, be a defender. Even if you say, well, I'm not best friends with somebody. I don't, I don't even know. Like, no, be a defender. Get somebody's back. Because you would want somebody to have your back like that. You know, I'm a, I'm a sports guy. I love football. I don't love it near as much when Tennessee plays like they did last night against LSU. But pray for us. Season's almost over. We're about to make it through. So in football, in the NFL... Two of the highest paid players on any team are usually the quarterback and the left tackle. The reason being that most quarterbacks in the NFL are right-handed, which means when they take the snap, they turn this way to throw the ball downfield, which means they are exposed on this side. And the left tackle is the guy over there who's blocking the defenders trying to get them from behind. And any franchise that's going to invest the kind of money that they usually invest in a quarterback also invests good money in a good left tackle to make sure somebody's got that quarterback's back. Who's got your back? Who's protecting you when you may not even know that you're vulnerable? Another person that you need in your life is a reject. Yes, I said that right. You need a reject. You need someone that needs your help. A biblical example would be a guy like Zacchaeus. You know Zacchaeus, a wee little man? A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Man, my children's church when I was growing up was awesome. We learned songs like that, right? You need somebody that needs your help. I'm not talking about so you are kind of inflated with pride, like look what I can do, look how I can help people. But there are people around you who need help, and they need you to step in and help them. The story of Zacchaeus, if you're not familiar, is about this guy. He's a tax collector. Nobody likes them, nobody likes him, because what he would do is he would get the tax bill from the government, and when he came to collect at your house, he would inflate what you owed, and he would pocket the difference. Nobody liked him. He, he was just kind of a sleazy kind of guy, and so one day Jesus is coming by, and a crowd is gathered, and they're seeing all this stuff, and Zacchaeus is a wee little man, and so he climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus walks right over to his tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to your house to eat lunch today. And over the course of that lunch, at some point, the conversation shifts in such a way that Zacchaeus goes and pays back all the people that he owes money to, and he changes the course of his life. And everything is changed because Jesus got involved in the mess of somebody who needed his help. You say, well, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, but there are people around you who have mess in their lives and they need help and you can help them. If you and I are not afraid to walk up to their tree and say, hey, let's do life together. Let me help you. Let me help you do the things that need to be done in your life. Another relationship that you need in your life is you need a little one. You need a little one, someone who's coming after you. A great biblical story of this is a girl by the name of Rhoda in Acts chapter 12. Rhoda in Acts chapter 12 was the little servant girl who was at Mary's house when Peter was in prison. And if you know this story, what happened is they had arrested Peter and they were afraid he was going to be beheaded. The the, the church was afraid that Peter was going to be beheaded because some of the other saints had been beheaded. And so they're praying that God would do a miracle and that Peter would be released from prison. They're having a prayer meeting. Well, God does a miracle, and Peter actually gets to get up and walk out of prison on his own. The shackles fall off, and he walks out in the middle of the night, and he goes to Mary's house where they're having a prayer meeting, and he knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, open up, open up. And so Rhoda, little Rhoda, comes to the door, and she listens through the door because they're having a prayer meeting, and they don't want the government to come in where they're at, and so she's listening. She's like, who is it? He's like, Peter. She's like, Peter who? he's like, it's, it's Peter. I'm assuming you're in there praying for me. And she runs off back into the living room and she tells everybody, hey, I think Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, you're crazy. Peter's in prison. They didn't even believe that what they were praying for could actually happen. And so eventually through conversation, Rhoda convinces all the people, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Peter. And so they all go to the door and sure enough, it is Peter. Now other places in scripture... We read about the servant girl or the servant boy, but they're not named. But something here in Acts chapter 12 is important for us to know that Rhoda, the name of this young girl, is a name that you and I need to know. We need to remember this young girl. That she's coming up after. She had a role in the miraculous story of what God was doing here in Acts chapter 12. You know, Canton Church exists because generations matter. What that means is that we believe that there is a place here for every generation. We're not a young church. We're not an old church. We're just a multi-generational church. And we always want to be that. Because we believe that there are people older than us that we can learn from. We believe that there are people younger than us that we can learn from. We believe that according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the story of God is for you, your children, and your children's children. And what we understand is that some of you are here because you're here as a multi-generational family. Grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and the grandkids are somewhere throughout this ministry or some variation of that type of family dynamic. But we also understand that some of you are here because you're the first generation of your family that's putting a stake in the ground to say my family in the future will be different because of the decisions that I'm making. And somebody somewhere in the future will thank God for you for making the hard decisions to stay married and to get in church and to live a life of faith and to do what needs to be done. Because generations matter. There are little Rodas all over Canton Church that just need you to invest in them, to spend some time. Titus chapter 2 tells us that the old men should teach the young men and the old women teach the young women what it means to live a life of faith. We need people in our lives like little rotas. Some other relationships that you need. You need some VIPs some very important people. These VIPs are someone who's rich and someone who's poor. And you're like, yep, I'll take some rich folks in my life. That's what I want. No, what we're talking about here is some stories like that of Lydia and Lazarus. Not the Lazarus who walked out of the tomb, but the Lazarus that was in a parable there in Luke chapter 16. Lydia is a person that we encounter in Acts chapter 16. She's someone who makes fine linens and cloth, purple clothes which would have been about the rich and the ornate and we see that she commits her life to God and we understand that her whole household turns to God and they're all baptized she's a person of influence and she becomes what is called a patron or a supporter of the way the cause of the followers of Jesus Christ and more so than the financial means that somebody in your life that's rich can provide to you you need somebody that's a supporter of you somebody that's a patron of you now maybe it is financial or maybe it's not but someone who has the means to come alongside you and support you as you chase all that God wants you to be. In, in this financial type of illustration, my dad plays that role in the life of my kids. Not, not in a ton of financial means. It's not like he's handing out $100 bills all the time. He doesn't have those means, nor would I allow him. That would go to dad. and you know It's, it's fine. It's, <laughs> we give him a portion, but you understand what I'm saying. No, no, no. What he did when we dedicated each of our children back to the Lord after they were born, Dad opened up a savings account, and he put $100 in it for each grandchild. And then every month, he just puts a few dollars in that account. I'm talking like a couple of Starbucks, maybe. Just a few dollars in each account, and the interest is bearing on that account, so that, and this is what he said to me and to Corey when he first started this process with Cooper, and then each grandchild, all of his grandchildren, and then what he has told the grandchildren as they get older. He says, there will come a day when you will... Have a moment where God captures your heart. And you may say something like this to me, Papa, my church is having a missions trip and I want to go. Or Papa, I'm not even really sure what this means, but I feel like God's calling me to do this or to do that. And I want to go and experience this that prepares me for what I believe God is calling me to. And he said, in that moment, I want to be able to say to you, I've been preparing for this moment. And it's not a lot, but it might be enough to get you started. And he said, I'll take the money out and give it to you. Now, you may not have anybody in your life like that, but you need somebody that when you say, hey, I I feel the call of God toward this, that they're finding any way they can to support you. They're a patron toward your efforts. You also need the poor. The story of Lazarus, again, not the guy that walked out of the tomb, but the story that was told, a parable told by Jesus in Luke 16, he was a beggar, and he was at the gate of a rich man. And later in the parable, we see that they are separated in eternity. And the rich man who's now in Hades is calling for the poor beggar to come and just dip his hand in water and just bring him just a morsel because he's so hot and We understand that he can't do that. But the question is, how are you interacting with the poor around you? Not so that you, again, you can be puffed up or proud. Not so that you can check it off your to-do list. Hey, I gave money to this need. But so you can recognize that God may have positioned you to be a part of the solution of their plight. Because God loves them just like he loves you. Another relationship that you need in your life is not a person, but a place. Not a person, but a place. Somewhere to call home a Jerusalem, a home base. You and I, for better or worse, are shaped by where we are. We're shaped by where we are. And so we need a place that can, we can call home, that launches us towards all that God is calling us to be. Another relationship that we need is a true friend. We need a true friend, someone who will walk with you. An example in scriptures: a guy by the name of Jonathan, who in the story of David was his truest friend, because Jonathan was the son of the king. And if David was going to now be a part of the story as the new king, then Jonathan, who the throne was rightly his, would no longer be entitled to the throne. He was giving up his right to the throne for his friend David, because he understood that God's anointing rested on David now. This is not your best friend, it's your truest friend, the person who knows you the best, the one who sees behind the mask that you wear The one that you've made yourself emotionally vulnerable to, another relationship that you need in your life is a protege. Someone that you can teach. Story in the Bible is a guy by the name of Timothy who the Apostle Paul pours into. Timothy was able later to rise up in leadership in the early church because Paul took him along on the journey. He showed him how he was leading and he taught him, but he gave him opportunities to lead even before he was ready. And Paul encouraged him. One time he wrote, hey, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. No, 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 you've got good stuff in you. Hold on to the truth of what you know to be right. We need a protege. We need someone that we can pour into. Have you and I considered that all the things that we want to accomplish in our lives that maybe our Sistine Chapel is not a project or a place, but it's a person. Someone that follows after us, not as a clone of us, but as an heir who takes the things that we've poured into them and they do even greater things than we have done. Another relationship that we need is a Yoda. We need a Yoda. I would love a Yoda, like that actually sounded like a Yoda we need a Yoda in our life, someone to offer us wisdom, maybe somebody like Peter or Paul, that when we need wisdom in the circumstances that we're facing, that they can speak wisdom into those situations because they've walked those roads. They've experienced that. It doesn't necessarily mean somebody older, but it might be, but somebody that has the experience that they can speak into the things that we're going through. And then lastly, we need an editor. We need an editor, someone to call us out. There's a story in scripture of a guy named Nathan. He was the prophet Nathan. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and done something that he shouldn't have done in the sight of God, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he looks at him and he says, hey, let me tell you a story. So there's a rich man who has everything that he can imagine and there's a poor man who has one little lamb. And he said, the friends of the rich man are coming to visit him and so he goes and he takes the lamb of the poor man to be the sacrifice and to be the food for all of his friends instead of using his own. And David is angry, and he's like, Man, how dare this guy? I can't imagine. I can't believe this. You tell me who it is, and I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll punish this guy. And Nathan looks right at him, points his finger in his face, and he says, You're the man. He was editing David's heart. You're he saying the same anger that you feel towards what I just described is what you actually produced in the heart of God with your actions. He says, you have everything that you need and everything that you want. And if that wasn't enough, God would have given you more. And you took something from someone else. Do you have anybody in your life who has permission to edit you, to keep you in check? You know, I've had the opportunity to write some books. And the hardest part of that process is releasing it to the editor. Because you take everything that you've written, everything that comes out of your heart, everything that you think is pretty good, and you give it to them, and they give it back to you with a bunch of red ink, or now digital redness, <laughs> and they've crossed through and replaced, and hey, develop this thought, and you don't need this, this isn't very good, I think you need to change this. And you're like, oh man, I thought I'd actually done a good job. But they're what they're trying to do, what's their purpose? They're not trying to be mean. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make it better. They're trying to say, no, what you were able to justify in your head doesn't make sense to the reader that doesn't have the same context. Like, let me sharpen this for you. Let me help you. I'm in it for your success. I want you to be better. You need somebody in your life who's an editor. And listen, here's what I promise. They're going to get under your skin. You're not going to like that they get in your business. They're going to ask questions, hard questions. But they're also going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you The truth, You know, the the name Nathan means gift. And if you have an editor in your life, you have a gift. You have a gift. You have somebody who's helping make you better. And when I read through all 11 of these types of relationships, all these types of people, there's probably some other ones that maybe you need in your life. And there's some of these that may be even a little bit redundant. But I was thinking about today and I was thinking about the context of relationship. I was recognizing that all of us We need to live life in relationship with other people. And what I love that we read in Philippians 1, verse 8, Paul said, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. God can testify how I long for all of you. What if if you and I are longing for these types of relationships? You so say, I don't, I don't have these 11 roles in my life. I don't have 11 people like that. I don't even know if I want 11 people like that. I mean, I, I think that I long for those types of deep relationships with others. Well, Psalm 18, the beginning of verse 24 says this. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. The idea being that you can make out a list and say, here's what... I want in my life. But the question is, are you being those things to other people? Are you defending others? Are you encouraging others? Are you motivating others? Are you in relationship with other people where you're helping to edit their lives to make them better? Or are you just judging them? Are there little ones that come after you? Are there protégés who are taking the best that you're pouring into them to accomplish even greater things? Are you helping to solve the plight of the poor? Are you helping to support other people in your life with the dreams that God has placed in their heart? You want friends like this? Then be this kind of friend to others. Because the question is not just what relationships do I need? The question comes back, what relationships do I have? How has God blessed me with other people in my life? And maybe I've not really recognized all that they mean to me and all that they help me to do. When you came in today, you were handed an envelope. I want you to go ahead and take that out now. On the inside of that envelope is a little card that I'd like for you to pull out. It's empty unless you've been doodling in it. But on the inside of that card where it's blank, I want you to open it up and I want you just to look at it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about Somebody in your life, maybe that fulfills one of these roles already. Maybe you know they defend you, they motivate you, they edit you, they support you, they mentored you. You were their protege. You were the little one who came along behind them. They poured into you. Somebody in your life. Maybe it's your protege and you wanted to know how proud you are of them. That you see goodness in them and greatness in them. That they'll accomplish great things. Here's what I want you to do. As I'm talking, as you're thinking, as God's placing that person maybe on your heart, I want you to take a pen. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat back there, maybe in the seat. And write their name right here underneath the fold. The reason that I'm asking you to do that is if I don't ask you to do that, you're just going to take this and throw it in your purse or throw it in your car or leave it on your seat and you're not going to do anything with it, I'm hoping that by writing this on here, you begin to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is just a spiritual word that means Pastor Jeremy's trying to guilt you into doing this project, okay? Just write their name right there. And at some point today, I want you to take the time to just write them just a quick thank you. Hey, I just want you to know what you mean to me. I, I I just want to say thanks. I just want you to know that, man, when I think about the blessings of God in my life, your face comes to mind. Thanks for being there for me. Thanks for supporting me. Thanks for defending me. Thanks for pouring into me. Thanks for allowing me to pour into you. Whatever that looks like for you, just write somebody's name and then eventually come along and you just write some things to them. And all this is going to require of you is just a couple of minutes and put it in the envelope and about 50 cents worth of postage. But, if you write it before you leave, and you know their address, and you put it on the card, there's a bucket at the information center. If you'll put it there, we'll mail it for you. Because I believe that it will make somebody's day for them to get this card from you. I believe it could actually make Thanksgiving for them. When they go to the mailbox, and off they get bills, and unsolicited, all kinds of advertisements, and then they see this little card, and it's handwritten on the Envelope. They're like, what in the world? And they open it up. Thinks. I think they missed a letter or two. I don't. And they open it up and they actually see your handwriting. That you took the time. We don't write handwritten cards anymore. That you took the time not to send a text, not to send an email, but you took the time to write to them what's in your heart. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. You just you say, hey, I just wanted to take a second. That this week of Thanksgiving, more than turkey and football and friends and family and shopping, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Now, unless you're writing, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. God, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice and I thank you for the opportunity today to be challenged about relationships. I thank you, God, for how you work in the story of men like Paul in the New Testament to help us to see that we can be thankful for the people that are in our lives every time we think of them. And God, I thank you for people like Nathan and Rhoda, and Lydia and Lazarus. God, I thank you for people like Barnabas and Deborah. Stories of scripture that sometimes as we read over them, we don't even recognize that they played an important role in the life of someone else. But God, every person that's listening right now has somebody like that in their life. Maybe they don't have 11, but I'm sure they have one. And so God, would you help us to recognize that and to be thankful for them in this season? And God, not just to be thankful for other people, but God, help us, challenge us now to be that kind of person in the lives of those around us that we're defending them and supporting them and encouraging them and motivating them and editing them. God, help us to be that kind of friend because it's the kind of friend we long for. So God, we thank you today that you have given relationships to us. They strengthen us. God, we thank you for all that you want to do through us and we thank you that we don't have to do it alone. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at CantonChurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com/CantonChurchGA.